Sky with a suitcase. I'm Betty, flight attendant Betty, and in this episode, we're all wet. We have a lot of water stories. First off, we're going to Maui, where we have a pesky shark story along with two amorous turtles, a ditching story. We have a couple of clipper stories, which are flying boats from the Pan Am days. Then we're off to Israel, to the Dead Sea. We've got a Coast Guard story, and in the very end of the episode, we have a really, truly fascinating Egyptian pet dolphin story. Really great stories this week, and it's all in the water. Now, one of the perks of my jobs is sometimes you end up on a layover in a very desirable location, and Maui would be one of those locations for sure. I love to snorkel and nothing like getting to snorkel at work. So in Maui, lots of times I'd go snorkeling by myself because, you know, you're on a layover. There's not necessarily always another flight attendant that wants to snorkel with you. And so most of the time I would go myself and I'd usually snorkel pretty far away from shore because right by the shore, um, there's a lot of other tourists, swimmers, and um, it's not as relaxing. It's, you know, it's just a little crowded. <laughs> I just don't like the crowds. Not because of the airplane, not in the water, not anywhere. So I would swim out pretty far. And in Maui, I was out there swimming, just me, way out there. And all of a sudden, I see a shark. And I see a shark that's, I'd say he's like three feet in front of me. And <laughs> my first response was in my mask, by myself, I go, shark <laughs> like that's gonna help anything or uh, mainly basically just tell the shark you're there now i've swam with sharks many times in places like belize where they have nurse sharks or tahiti where you can go on a tour where they actually go and you can watch them like feed the sharks but in those situations you're with a guide and they tell you what kind of shark it is oh it's a nurse shark it's a reef shark you know nice vegetarian sharks <laughs> but when i'm by myself i don't know my sharks very well. So I saw that shark and I wasn't wearing fins because I didn't want them to take up so much room in my suitcase. So I, <laughs> I swam away just about as fast as I possibly could. And everything was fine, of course, just a little scared. Got my adrenaline going. But there's another time I was snorkeling again by myself in Maui. And I got scared by something that normally I wouldn't think would ever scare me. And that was a turtle, a very angry turtle. I was snorkeling and I was looking down like I normally would. I wasn't looking at the surface. So I didn't notice that I was swimming right up to a pair of mating sea turtles. And I guess, you know, and, and, and then when I realized that I kind of um, hesitated for a minute because I just don't normally see two turtles mating, you know, normally. So I was looking and I guess the turtle, the male turtle got a little mad because um, I was sort of invading his his uh, 
bedroom. <laughs> so he started to swim after me. And the look on his face, I honestly would have never thought I could be afraid of a turtle, considering they normally are so graceful and beautiful. You think of them as slow. Well, this turtle was going fast. <laughs> I think I was almost as afraid of the amorous, angry turtle than I was of the shark. Western Airlines, and this is many, many, many moons ago, and they had a flight. We had a flight that ditched in the San Francisco Bay. And the flight attendant, it was a successful ditching, and no one was... Which is amazing. Yeah, no one was killed. And um, everyone was okay and managed to get out, and it ditched in the San Francisco Bay. And she said, well, the thing that made her the most mad was that she had to replace her uniform, and Western wouldn't pay for it. She had to buy her own new uniform. She said, and I lost my hat. And she said, and besides which, my wool uniform was of no use to me anymore. It shrunk to no end. I couldn't have got one leg into it. And I had to replace my uniform, and I had to pay for it. So their plane went down in the San Francisco Bay, and she was mad because her uniform was ruined. And she had to buy it, a new one. <laughs> We're all based on nautical terms, flying does, because of the flying boats from the Pan Am flying boats. The clipper ships. The clippers. And that's why I'm a captain, and he's the first officer, and it's called the galley, and you're a stewardess. Because the boats came first. Boats came first. And the first airplanes were flying boats. Yep. So, yep. And the boats, the fl- airplanes, the flying clipper ships would land and taxi up to a pier. And there's you're saying that, I'm sorry, I didn't know this. So you're saying that the first planes were actually could go in the water and in the air? Yes. Yeah. They're very luxurious. These Pan Am Clipper ships, they, they started the whole, uh, you know, aviation transcontinental stuff. It was great. Yeah, and all, and, all the, and all the first runways were in the water. Yeah. Water that runway. seems bizarre to me. There's one in Miami still. You can see the pier out there. Those are my stars. I don't know. You guys need to get your own. But those are my stars. Belt. That's your stars. (laughs) Because no matter where I go in the world, it seems like when I look up, they're the first ones I see. Yeah. So I call them mine. So you were saying... The the stars are completely different, of course, in the Southern Hemisphere. And that's the only place you can see the Southern Cross. It was a big uh, navigation. Have you ever been anywhere when you're in the equator and watched the uh, water swirl down the drain? No. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, you know, but if you're at the equator, like in um, Kenya, if you're actually on the line, you can go, they'll have a demonstration set up where you go 10 feet one way and they have a pitcher of water and they have a bowl with a hole in it. And then they ask you to put like a piece of grass in it and they you watch it go clockwise as it goes drained. And then you go 10 feet the other way on the other side of the equator and you put that grass in it and it goes counterclockwise. And if you stand on the equator, it doesn't go either way. It just goes straight down. No. It does. <laughs> I was there. I saw it. The Coriolis effect, isn't it? Wow. Huh? Well, that we call it, they call it the Coriolis effect. It's the way the... Not the way the... I thought it was fascinating. I think they had the demonstration set up mainly for the kids, but I was like, oh, look at that. Since I found serenity... You can't take the sky from me. Now, I was traveling in Israel uh, 
by myself. I think it was in 2000. And I went to the Dead Sea. Boy, was that an interesting area. <laughs> you know, I, I most of you probably know that the Dead Sea has so much salt in it that you cannot sink. Uh, it's so interesting that I got in the water and you cannot keep your feet down. They either float up in front of you or in back of you. And you have to be really, really careful not to get the salt in any open wounds or in your eyes. It would really, really sting. And and children, <laughs> if you have any kids, you would know that you know, they're not very easy to say, you know, don't splash in the water. So about every 30 minutes, like a horror movie, some kid would come running in just, his hands over his eyes. <laughs> and the other really interesting thing about the Dead Sea is that there would be a lot of Muslim women in their full-on outfits with the scarf and the dress all the way down to the floor, floor-length dress in the water because you can't sink and they usually don't know how to swim because they've never been able to put on a bathing suit. But this is one body of water they can get in in their whole outfit. So there were a bunch of Muslim women right there swimming along with us in the Dead Sea. You flew for Pan Am? Uh-huh. Well, first of all, there's something you have to know about Germans in particular anyway. They're very fastidious, very punctual, try to be perfect. And, and if you aren't perfect, they will correct you, uh, which we're just not used to in the U.S. One day we're taxiing out in Frankfurt and we're going to a runway that's quite a ways away and uh, the ground controller cleared a Lufthansa flight to follow the clipper to runway 18, meaning us. Well, this Lufthansa 737 just gooses the gas and pulls right in front of us. Captain has to honk on the brakes. And on goes Lufthansa, and we're kind of, well, you know, it's their own base. They usually get the favoritism anyway, so that's fine. Well, the ground controller goes, Lufthansa, XYZ, I told you to follow the clipper. And the Lufthansa pilot comes back, we did not see the clipper. And you hear the ground controller go, Roger, turn right at taxiway Lima, turn right at taxiway November, turn right at taxiway Papa, turn right at taxiway Hotel. He basically boxes around behind us now. He goes, do you see the clipper now? As some of you may have guessed, if you've listened to my other two episodes, I am not that tech savvy. And I got um, some comments from listeners. Thank goodness you told me, or else I would have not even have known that the audio was only coming through on one ear if you were using a headset. And thanks to Joe Dion at uh, another podcast called Fly With Me, which you can get at www.flywithjoe.com. <laughs> he is uh, basically walked me through it and I believe it's all fixed now and I will go back and fix the other episode so other people won't have to listen with just one ear like you had to. <laughs> you know, I am so untech savvy that it is actually sort of crazy that I'm even attempting this podcast. One of the things we used to do in the Coast Guard was marine environmental patrols. We fly in our Falcon 200. It's called the HU-25 Guardian. Flying out of Mobile, Alabama, headed down south in the Gulf of Mexico, looking on the buoy line, the Noe buoy line, for uh, oil spills and whatnot. Uh, we carry a crew of five on that plane, and in the back, uh, our sensor system operator had a case of uh, the runs. And he was, uh, you know, really having trouble containing himself. And the aircraft commander said, uh, you know, hey, I, 
there's really not much we can do for you, but you got your box lunch, you know, that we usually go out with. This little cardboard, you know, box lunch most of us are familiar with. So, uh, you know, he was really having to hold it in pain, so he relieved himself into his box lunch. And of course, you know, the gaspers are up here, and everybody's stinking, this, you know. Yeah, and it's, uh, so Is there any private place? No, no, he's just in the back, you know, it's in the service, you know, he's, I, you know, nobody's looking. Anyway, so, he does his thing, it's, it's really nasty, it's stinking up in there, and the guys are like, man, it's, God, can't take it, oh my, you know. And, uh, the aircraft commander had the brilliant idea, you know, in the Falcon, we have a drop hatch that we can open, okay. and we can drop pumps and rafts to, uh, vessels or persons in the water that are in distress. Anyway, decided to get down to 100 feet, extend the flap slats, open the drop hatch, let's get rid of this box lunch. You know, we'll throw it out. So they do that, they go down, they run the drop checklist, the hatch is open, the drop master's over the hole, standing by to drop, ready, you're clear to drop, 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 drop. Throws the box lunch down back, down into the hole, comes back up, rolling, tumbling, shit <laughs> just blowing poop all over the airplane. Because the airflow was coming back up through the hole in the plane, and the box lunch did not weigh the minimum of 90 pounds to clear the aircraft in the fuselage. So it's spinning across the overhead, and all they can hear over the ICS up front is, ah, ah, they were thinking guys were dying. You know, it's like drop master, aircraft commander, check in, loadmaster, check in. Ah, ah, it's just spinning box of poop all over the plane. And, uh, Finally, you know, they button up the hole, they climb out, and it's like, you know, the plane is just trashed. And we have those observer windows in our in our jets, too, uh, to look for uh, uh, search and rescue cases and had poop all over them. And finally, they had to, had to cancel the mission and divert back to Mobile. And, and now for my most amazing water story. I was in Egypt, in the Sinai, and I was there for a... Israeli yoga retreat that uh, was one of my favorite teachers from Italy. So um, before I had gone uh, to Egypt, I had gotten a Lonely Planet book. That's a guidebook some of you may be familiar with. It's sort of geared towards budget travel. And um, it's just the best book ever, just because it gives you so much information on how to get everywhere and, you know, train and bus schedules, basically everything you need to know. So I feel like if I have a Lonely Planet book, I'm I'm prepared. So I was reading the Lonely Planet before I went to Egypt, and there was this story about a dolphin that lived with the fishermen. And it just sounded like a myth to me. It didn't sound like it could possibly be a true story. It was it said that the dolphin was a trained dolphin. It had been trained to be enclosed, basically, uh, to swim with um, tourists for, you know, they charge $200 in a lot in Israel, and you get to swim with the dolphin. But, you know, they're enclosed. They're basically, I don't know, it, everybody has a different idea whether or not that that's a, a good situation or not for the dolphins. But this particular dolphin named Holly had escaped and had gone out to sea and had made it to Egypt and had gotten caught in a fisherman's net. And this fisherman, this Egyptian fisherman, had um, found the dolphin and got it loose. And it was, um, I guess it had been there for a while, so it was sort of sick. And the, the fisherman nursed it back to health. And then the fisherman was kind of... Um, at a low level in the community, you know, he wasn't uh, doing very well. And um, now the dolphin 
chose to live with the fisherman that saved it. So the fisherman, and, and it's not enclosed, it could leave at any time. And now the fisherman has a source of income because he charges the tourists a little bit of money to swim with the dolphin. It's like pet dolphin. And um, so in the story, in The Lonely Planet, it was basically like... Uh, the fisherman saved the dolphin, and the dolphin saved the fisherman. And it just sounded to me just like a, a myth. It didn't sound like that could possibly be an actual, real, true story. So when I got to Egypt, everybody I ran into, I kept saying, do you know anything about this dolphin? The dolphin's name is Holly and lives with a fisherman. And, and nobody seemed to know anything until I finally found one taxi driver who said, yes, I, I know about the dolphin, and, and I could take you there. So... um Myself and a few other girls from the yoga retreat got in the taxi and went off and we got to this part of the beach and he said, this is where the dolphin is. And we saw there were about 20, 25 tourists out there swimming. They were kind of yelling and seemed like chasing after something, which I assume was the dolphin. And we got on our, our flippers and our mask and fins and we got out there and it, I just wasn't too sure if it was the best situation. It seemed like the tourists were a little pushy. I thought, I don't know. It seemed like if they saw the dolphin, they were yelling and swim after it. And I thought, I don't know if this is good for the dolphin. I was sort of getting a feeling like, you know, I don't know if this is the best situation. And just at that point, this little brown boy, maybe 10 years old, comes up to me and taps me on the shoulder and, and motions for me to swim after him away from all the tourists. So I did. And and he swam down, he dove down, and he got two rocks, and he, and he hit them together. And just then, the dolphin comes swimming up. Like, it was, it's his signal to the dolphin, because it turns out it was the son of the fisherman. So basically, it was this little boy's pet dolphin. And he showed me how to pet it and how to swim with it. And all the other tourists were still out there trying to find the dolphin. It was just the most amazing situation. It was just one of those sort of... I can't believe this is happening. And I went and got the other uh, girls that I'd come with from the yoga retreat, and we all got to swim with the dolphin. And it was just one of those situations that at one point, I just stuck my head out of the water into one of the other girls, and I said, isn't life just amazing? It was just unbelievable. Well, that's about it for this week's episode of Betty in the Sky with Suitcase. Hope you'll join me another time as we travel the world together. I don't care, I'm still free. You can't take the sky from me. Take me out to the black. Tell them I ain't coming back. Burn the land and boil the sea. You can't take the sky from me. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.